I think it's fair to say that there are very few stories more deeply embedded into the cultural fabric of 20th century America, quite like the story of a certain ball-headed boy and his dog and his merry band of friends. I also think it's fair to say that there is likely not a single person in the sanctuary this morning who is unfamiliar with the Peanuts comic strip, given its very long run in daily newspapers from 1950 to 2000. It's what made Robert Thompson, a professor of popular culture in Syracuse University, once described the Peanuts comic strip as, quote, arguably the longest story ever told by one individual. That individual, of course, was Charles M. Schultz, who by his own admission only ever wanted to be a cartoonist. And what a cartoonist he was. Because by the time he dropped his ink pen for the last time in the year 2000, he had amassed an astonishing readership of 350 million readers worldwide written over 1,800 comic strips, told stories that took up over 40 television specials and stage productions and films. Not bad for a guy who ever wanted, only ever wanted to draw pictures for a living and tell stories. I think it's fair to say that we don't often turn to comic strips to find great literature. We don't consider them great literature. We don't turn to them for wisdom or insight into human behavior or about the world around us. We read the comics to laugh, don't we? To make us happy, to put a smile on our face, to give us a bit of a lighthearted jolt in order to start our day. Schultz would often say that he wrote Peanuts, though, for a very different reason. Because often, the greatest sources of wisdom in our lives are not the sources that make us happy or make us smile or make us laugh. Sometimes the greatest sources of wisdom describe ourselves for who we really are and describe the world for the reality that it is. Schultz often said that the reason he wrote the Peanuts comic strip was in order to work through his own internal struggles, his own internal battles with fear and anxiety and depression. And he would work through that by telling a story time and time again, day after day, about a boy who tried really hard at everything in his life, but things never seemed to turn out right. His kite would always get eaten by that same tree. His report card would always come back with that D minus. His Valentine's Day mailbox would always turn up empty. Lucy would always swipe that stupid football away at the last second. He would pitch that baseball and it would always get crushed back toward the mound, literally knocking his socks off. His baseball team would never win. And worst of all, that little red-haired girl would never acknowledge his existence. 
Schultz would often say that he wrote these things in order to work out his own internal fears. And the comics had never seen anything quite like Charlie Brown before. The comics were more used to swashbuckling heroes like Prince Valiant or Dick Tracy or blustery buffoons like Hagar the Horrible or lazy dimwits like Beetle Bailey or Dagwood, but nothing like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown was a kid who always tried hard, but never did things work out in his life. And I suspect that if we look deep down inside our own lives, certainly within our own past, we might be able to identify ways in which we can relate to Charlie Brown. It's possible that even in the sanctuary this morning, there are those of you who don't need a lot of time to fill in the blank with ways that you're living a Charlie Brown kind of life. Charlie wasn't alone in his miseries, as you know. Certainly everybody in the Peanuts gang had something they were struggling with. Sally had a mad crush on Linus. But Linus had an even bigger crush on his blanket. Lucy loved Schroeder, but Schroeder loved Beethoven. And Snoopy, that flying ace, he was never quite able to catch the Red Baron. Time after time, character after character, things would never quite turn out happy for the Peanuts gang, which is why when the strip originally debuted many years ago, Readers would often write to complain to Charles Schultz. They'd say, Mr. Schultz couldn't just once, just one time, couldn't he please just kick that football? Couldn't, couldn't things just turn out right for him once? Couldn't things just be happy? But Schultz would respond. He would say to an interviewer at one point, Happiness isn't very funny. Because after all, the lasting power of peanuts is not found in its humor, not found in its ability to make us laugh all the time, but in its wisdom. And wisdom isn't always funny. Because sometimes our greatest sources of wisdom are not the things that make us happy or make us laugh. The greatest sources of wisdom are those things that remind us of who we really are and tell us the way the world really is. And so it's in that light that this morning we turn to the funnies section of the Bible, to that knee-slapping, rib-poking, joke-telling book that we all know as Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes has often been derided in the church because of its pessimistic view of life, because of its nihilistic, fatalistic perspective on the world. There are those who have even wondered, why in the world is Ecclesiastes even a book in our Bible? Because it doesn't turn out happy. There is nothing joyful in it. But we are reminded that wisdom isn't always funny. 
at least not the kind of wisdom that we often need to hear. Well, I think that Ecclesiastes is in our Bible because the author of Ecclesiastes, the author whom some believe was King Solomon, others simply describe as the teacher, because the author of Ecclesiastes is not willing to settle for easy answers to describe life, not willing to settle for comfortable or simple ways of describing the faith. The author of Ecclesiastes is more interested in describing the world the way it is rather than giving us some sort of easy, pocketable, portable collection of pious platitudes. The author of Ecclesiastes is not simply saying, if you follow this exact formula, it will guarantee you happiness and success. He's not saying all you have to do is A, B, and C, and you will get all that you deserve and all that you want in life. Ecclesiastes refuses a kind of Christianity that can be easily rendered in four simple panels on a daily newspaper. The author of Ecclesiastes is really trying to dig deep into matters of life and death, light and dark, triumph and tragedy, pain and hope. He's wanting to survey all of the rich contours of the realities of life and not simply paint a rosy picture on the way life is or the way life can be. The author of Ecclesiastes has been around the block for a while. He's shed some tears. He's experienced some pain. He's been in the bottom of the bottom. His tires are well-worn from the gravel roads of life, hitting one too many speed bumps and potholes along the way. The author of Ecclesiastes has seen life for what it really is. In other words, life the way you and I live it. Life the way it really is. And he knows better than to settle for answers that are quick and simple and convenient. In other words, the author of Ecclesiastes is a lot like Charles M. Schultz. And the subject of Ecclesiastes may as well be good old Charlie Brown. Because life, as it is, doesn't always work out for Charlie Brown. Because your life and mine doesn't always work out the way we want it to. And you can tell that right out of the gate. Right out of the opening chapter and the opening verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, we hear for the first time a familiar echo over a refrain that will be all throughout the book. Where Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities. That's the way he describes life. All is vanity. You just heard Mary Lou read it from the Common English Bible. That version says that life is perfectly pointless. Perfectly pointless. That's the way life is. It conjures up this question, what does it all matter? What does it all mean? What is the point of it all? Nothing matters. Life is perfectly pointless. In the original Hebrew text, those very same words can also be translated as wind, breath, air, 
That's how temporary and unpredictable life is. Fleeting as a puff of air, as temporary as a wisp of wind, as unpredictable as wind itself, which goes wherever it wants to go. There is no controlling the wind. There is no holding on to the breath. That's what life is all about. Just a puff, perfectly pointless. Or in the words of Charlie Brown, good grief. Verse 7 of chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes. The rivers all flow to the sea, but it doesn't matter because the sea is never full enough. In verse 8, we fill the world with our words, but all we get are words that do not satisfy our ears or our eyes. That's what life is all about. The kite always gets stuck in the tree. The football always gets swiped away at the last minute. The report card always comes back with poor grades. The Valentine's Day mailbox is never full. And that little red-haired girl doesn't even know our name. Vanity of vanities. Perfectly pointless. Good grief. And if there's ever a scene... In the Peanuts movie, which I watched a few weeks ago and just fell in love with. If there's ever a scene in the Peanuts movie that captures the opening verses of Ecclesiastes and summarizes what the Peanuts comic strip at its core was all about, then it is this scene where a tired, dejected Charlie Brown goes for a little bit of pastoral care to, of all people, his nemesis, Lina, Lucy Van Pelt, who has set up her famous psychiatric booth, and he comes to her to ask her what he should do, and she gives him this advice for a whopping five cents.
I want to assure you that none of your ministers in this church practice that kind of pastoral care. (laughs) To my knowledge, it's been a while since we've called any of you losers or failures. But vanity of vanities, perfectly pointless, good grief. If the Peanuts comic strip were a book in our Bible, I am certain it would be the book of Ecclesiastes. But you know, there's an interesting, challenging, good word about that. Because if the Peanuts comic strip could be endeared by so many and cherished for so long, if there's something about this Peanuts story that we connect with and love and can't get enough of, then maybe we can say the same about the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe there's reason for us not to disdain this book but to cherish Ecclesiastes, to honor what it's trying to tell us. Because if Charlie Brown, of all characters, can be revered as an anti-hero because he never gets things right, then maybe, just maybe, we can appreciate Ecclesiastes on the very same level. Because happiness, after all, isn't very funny. Because sometimes wisdom doesn't make us laugh or smile, but simply tells us who we really are and reminds us of how to make it in the world today. And so what would be the lesson of Ecclesiastes for us? What is that golden nugget of truth that we could hold on to from Ecclesiastes? I suspect it would be the very same truth that Charles Schultz has been telling us for decades the person of Charlie Brown. And I think the lesson would be this, that with everything that poor Charlie Brown went through in his life, with everything that went wrong, here is what we know about Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown never quit, did he? He never stopped trying. That tree would eat his kite But we knew it wouldn't be the last time he would stick a kite into the sky. Lucy would spoil him again and yank that football away. But we knew there would be another day that he would line up for yet another kick. That report card would come back with a poor grade. That baseball pitch would get sailed over the outfield fence. That little red-haired girl would ignore him entirely. But we knew Charlie Brown would still come to class. He would still take the mound, and he would still believe in love. If there's anything we have ever come to know, it's this. Every single day, every day, every moment, Charlie Brown never quit. He just kept going. And you know what else we learn about Charlie Brown? He was always kind. He was always good and decent to the people around him. Oh, for sure, he would get frustrated with his friends. He would always get frustrated with Lucy in the outfield of his baseball team for daydreaming. He'd get frustrated with his sister Sally for not giving up that beanbag chair in front of the television. He'd get frustrated with his dog for demanding one too many things from him. But never, never In 50 years, over 1,800 comic strips, did we ever see Charlie Brown compromise his integrity or do something unethical 
or take a shortcut or say or think a cross word about anybody else. No matter what happened, he treated his friends with fairness and politeness and decency and kindness. He never crossed the boundaries. He never bent the rules. In many ways, he was the fulfillment of John Wesley's great simple rules. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. And with all that we have come to know and appreciate about Charlie Brown, we can say this. He never quit. And he always treated others well. And you know what that means. In the end, Charlie Brown is a hero after all. And I think that is why Ecclesiastes is in our Bible. Not because it paints a rosy picture of life. Not because it covers up all the pain and suffering of the realities of living. Not because it tries to make us laugh, not because it ends with a fairy tale ending, but because it gives us permission. It gives us permission to acknowledge before others and before God just how rotten life can be sometimes. Ecclesiastes gives us the permission to throw our hands up into the air and say, Life is really rotten, and I did nothing to deserve this. Good grief. But you know, it also gives us a challenging encouragement to continue living life the way we believe it needs to be lived, with integrity, with decency, with civility, with kindness, and with love. Because it's the right thing to do. Not because it will always bring you reward, not because it will guarantee you a brighter life. Not because it will always end in a happy ending. But because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right way to live. Because it's what Charlie Brown would do. Which is why I love the way the movie ends. Because it's a reminder to us that at the end of the day, somebody, at least one person in our life, notices the way we live. In the movie, as you'll see, it was the little red-haired girl who has some final words to say to Charlie Brown. But listen to her words as a way of hearing what God says to you because God notices, and this is what God would tell you. Let us pray. God, thank you for seeing us the way we really are. Not as washed up, wishy-washy, block-headed failures, but as your children, as the objects and recipients of your love. Encourage us to share that love with others, with decency and kindness and civility regardless of the tumult of life. Grant us permission to acknowledge the hardships of life, but to never give up, never to give up, because your grace is strong enough to see us through and even strong enough to empower us to be kind and loving to others, even when they are not the same to us. Thank you. 
oh God, for seeing us as we really are and for giving us that wisdom that will sustain us through our days. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.